Lord Jesus, we want to know you more personally and intimately, not just about you. We want to know you. Teach us more about yourself as we look into your miracles that we might truly have an understanding of who you are in truth. In your name we pray, amen. God's peace to you, friends. I want to start off with a little bit of a TV quiz, if I may, and I invite you to respond out loud with these answers, okay? So who can tell me the name of the current host of The Tonight Show? Jimmy Fallon, right? Jimmy Fallon. Now, who was the host of The Tonight Show before Jimmy Fallon? Jay Leno. Before Jay Leno, it was? Okay, there's a little more enthusiasm with that one. Anybody know before Johnny Carson? Jack Parr. I heard a few people say it. All right, very good. You pass. Well, some years ago, when Johnny Carson was still the host of The Tonight Show, he interviewed an eight-year-old boy. And the boy was asked to appear on the show because he had rescued two friends in a coal mine outside his hometown in West Virginia. So this little boy was on the show. And as Johnny Carson questioned the boy, it became rather apparent to him and to the audience that the young man was a Christian. So Carson asked him if he attended Sunday school. And when the boy said that he did, Johnny inquired, what are you learning in Sunday school? Last week, the boy replied, our lesson was about when Jesus went to a wedding and turned water into wine. And of course, the audience roared with laughter, but Carson tried to keep a straight face. And then he said, and what did you learn from that story? And the boy kind of squirmed a little bit in his chair. It was apparent he hadn't really thought about this. But then he broke into a big smile and he said, If you're going to have a wedding, make sure you invite Jesus. (laughs) In my premarital counseling sessions, I will sometimes say, yeah, be sure to invite Jesus to the marriage, not just the wedding. Indeed. Today, we're going to take a little closer look at the story of when Jesus was invited to a wedding. And there he performs his first public miracle. Again, John tells the story this way. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. We don't know exactly where Cana was located specifically. There are a number of different towns that kind of have the root word within it. But we know it was in that northern region of Galilee. And John goes on to say that Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, it's kind of interesting. From the language that is used about Jesus' mother, Mary, and from the way this story progresses in the text in John, it appears that Mary is more than just another guest at the wedding. She seems to be playing an active role with this wedding feast celebration. She's involved in the service of the food and drink. And in fact, she appears to be the manager of the wait staff by what she says to the servants there. 
Now, the story continues. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Let's pause there for a second. Why is that such a big deal? We might not think anything of that. All right, the drinks are done. That's it, right? In that day and age and in that culture, that would have been a terrible embarrassment, not only for the bride and groom, but for each of their respective families. In that culture, it was expected that the family would provide everything necessary for this kind of social event that everybody was attending, and for there to be something lacking would have been terribly embarrassing. They have no more wine. This is a big deal. Somebody messed up. Those of you who are in the hospitality industry know that, you know, it's not good not to have what you need for your guests. Somebody messed up. They didn't get the order to Costco in time. You know, there wasn't enough wine there for the wedding feast. Now what? Well, Jesus responds to his mother's statement. He says, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Now, at first hearing, we might think the words of Jesus are a little bit disrespectful. After all, this is his own mother. He talks to his mother this way. He doesn't say mother or mom. He says, dear woman. But it really is not disrespectful at all. As a matter of fact, it's the very same words used here that Jesus spoke from the cross three years later when his mother and his friend John are right there in front of him. And he commends his mother into the care of John by saying, Dear woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. Same term. It's a term of endearment and love. Woman, behold your son from the cross. Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come, Jesus says. Jesus has very clearly his own timing for things. He's going to do things that are always in line with his heavenly father's timing and his divine plan for his life. We need to keep in mind, of course, too, that the people of Jesus' day had certain expectations about what Messiah was going to be like and what he was going to do. I've mentioned before that some of those expectations included a Messiah who would be a powerful warrior king to throw the Romans out of their land. Another part of the expectations of many people was that Messiah would usher in a time of great feasting, plenteous food and drink for everybody in the land of Israel. It would be a jubilee year every year when Messiah arrived. That's not the kind of Messiah Jesus came to be at all. He has his own timing. He has his own way of doing things. There's a right time and a right way in Jesus' mind. Really, is that any different from the way God has operated for all of eternity? We hear God's own words from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 8, where he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God has his own timing and his own way of doing things. And so too with Jesus. You know, sometimes we also get a little anxious, don't we? When things don't go the way we want them to go. 
don't we get a little impatient even with God when his timing doesn't seem to fit our plan? We get a little anxious and impatient as well. But God does things his own way in his own time and so it is with Jesus, very evident in this story. The story continues on, verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Kind of an odd request. These are the jars that are used for people to wash their hands and and be uh, ritually purified before an event. And he wants us to fill those to the brim with water? Why? Six of them. We're talking about close to 180 gallons of water here. Why? But... John tells us they did so. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. John says he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then, this master of ceremonies, if you will, called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What a fascinating story. In this sermon series we're in, we are asking the question, who is Jesus? What is the case evidence for who Jesus really is? Well, let me ask you, based on this story, how would you answer that question? Who is Jesus? What can we say about him from this story? Well, here's some initial observations, maybe less important than the big ones, but some lesser observations, but, but they are significant. When we observe Jesus in this story, we see one who truly cares about people and their real needs. Jesus would have fully understand the potential embarrassment to this couple and to their families. He was sensitive to this crisis that was appearing right there at that wedding feast. And he responds because he cares. He cares about the little things. And sometimes, you know, we write Jesus off as not really caring about this. It's just too small to bring to him in prayer when he wants us to bring the little things to him. He cares about them. Likewise, nothing is too big for him to handle as we see in this story as well. He acted when he saw a need. Something else we learn about Jesus that is that he is one who honors marriage. He honors the institution that God established of marriage and family life. It's, I think it's just impressive that Jesus and at least six of his disciples at this time early in their history, they show up at this wedding. And by doing so, he honors marriage. And family life. Likewise, Jesus is one who honors your marriage, those of you who are married. He is there to support you in your family life, to encourage you, 
especially in those times, and we all know about them, when our relationships are strained within the home. Jesus is right there with us with his healing power to bring about a brand new experience in our families. He cares about marriage and family life. And something else that we learn about Jesus from this story is that he's more focused on his mission than on being in the limelight, the spotlight, if you will. He wasn't out there saying, okay, everybody, we have a crisis here. We're out of wine. So I want you to watch what I'm going to do here. I'm going to step up. And we've got all this water. I'm going to change this water into wine. And it's not only going to be wine, it's going to be the best wine you've ever had. No, he doesn't do that. He stays in the background. And he quietly goes to the servants and tells them what to do. Because he's more focused on his mission than on the limelight. But the clearest insight into who Jesus is in this story comes out in the very last verse of the text. Verse 11. Listen to what John says. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Catch the term that John used for this miracle. He called it one of his miraculous signs. All right, I talked with Ayana about what signs do. Signs point you to something else. Jesus' miracles point us to him and who he truly is, namely the Son of God. The signs of his miracles point to his own glory as God in the flesh. They show us something of who he really is, more than just a mere man. God in the flesh come into the world to ultimately be the world's savior. Jesus' miracles are those kinds of signs. They demonstrate that he is nothing less than God himself. And the result, of course, is that his disciples put their faith in him. They trust him. Let's just ask the question, does God still do miracles today? He certainly does. He certainly does. Some of us have seen those. Now, does he promise to always do a miracle in every circumstance? No, he doesn't make that promise. But can he and does he still do miracles? Yes, he does. But you know as well as I that there are some people in the world who simply will not take the step of faith in God until they see a miracle. I'm going to see God do something miraculous before I'll even acknowledge that he's there. They're looking for a sign in that sense. Let me ask you, what kind of a sign are you waiting for from God before you'll trust that he truly is God? What kind of a sign are you waiting for from Jesus before you'll put your trust in him as your savior? Well, friend, I would challenge you to consider that the two greatest signs from God have already been given to you. You already have them. They're right in front of you. The first sign was given on a hill on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It's the sign that is ever before us. 
the sign of the cross, the sign where God in the flesh gave his life for you and me. There at the cross, Jesus paid the full penalty for our wrongs. There, Jesus took what we deserve. There, Jesus suffered and died in your place and mine. And he earned forgiveness of sins for you and me. He says, trust that I did this for you and the benefits are yours. The sign of the cross reminds us he is our Savior. And every time you see a cross, let it serve as a sign to point you to something else, namely to Jesus himself as your Savior and Lord. And the second great sign that you've already received from God looked something like this. A stone rolled away from a tomb that once held the body of Jesus. Demonstrating very clearly, pointing very clearly that Jesus is no longer dead, but is indeed alive today. Death could not defeat him. A tomb could not hold him. And the sign of the empty tomb declares loud and clear that because he lives, we shall live also. Because he rose from the dead, we too shall rise from the dead physically on the last day. Because Jesus is alive right now, preparing a place in heaven for all who believe in him, we have the assurance of eternal life through faith in him. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Friends, all the signs point to Jesus as being God in the flesh. And if that is the case, then what are the implications for your life and mine? As we look at this particular story of this sign, this miracle that took place in Cana, I want to propose two big takeaways from this story of his first miracle. Two big takeaways. And the first one we learn from the disciples themselves, where John tells us they put their faith in Jesus. They saw this sign, they saw the evidence of who Jesus is, and they put their faith in him. And they kept their faith in him even in the days that came after this, very difficult days, days of persecution and hardship, ridicule, and ultimately they gave their lives for the sake of the message of Jesus. They had put their trust in him so much, nothing could take it away. And that faith grew and grew and grew. And so we can learn from the disciples this takeaway. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust in him, not only in the good days, but trust in him when those bad days come along. When those, those days come where you are tempted to think, does God even care about me anymore? Is God even there anymore? Trust him anyway. Trust him who gave his very life for you and keep on returning, friends. Keep on returning in the dark days to the two greatest signs of God's love and faithfulness, the cross and the empty tomb. The second takeaway from this story, we learn from Mary and the servants that were there at the wedding. Mary said to those servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And they did. If there's a, a second takeaway from this story, friends, it's do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. 
You have eternal life as a gift. Now, respond by doing whatever he tells you. And what is it that he tells you? Well, that's right here. That's found in this book, God's book, the Bible, his word to us. It is his message to us, his people. And he so desires for us to know what he has to say to us. As we are moving into this new year of 2019, friends, I want to challenge all of us to regroup our own personal efforts into picking up this book on a daily basis, reading, studying, meditating on the meaning of God's word for us. And I want to make this challenge simple. I want to challenge you to commit five minutes a day, five minutes a day to what I call quiet time with God. Five minutes. Start with five. If you start with an hour, you're going to get frustrated and then give up. But if you start with five minutes, you'll hunger for more as the days go on. Take five minutes to read a small portion of the scriptures. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand what it's saying, what it means. Pray to the Lord to guide you in how to apply those words to your own life. Humbly seek to know God's will for you as you study his word on a daily basis. You know, in order to do whatever he tells you, you need to listen to what he's saying. And this is where he speaks in his word. And so invite him in. Invite him into your daily routine. Invite Jesus into your home life. Invite him into your school life. Invite him into your work life. And yes, invite Jesus to your wedding and invite him to your marriage and family life. Put your faith in him as your savior and do whatever he tells you. Simple lessons from a marvelous story. And then don't be surprised if Jesus takes some of the plain old water of your life and transforms it into new, excellent wine for his glory. For after all, it's all about him. Who is Jesus? He's the Savior who makes all things new. Amen. May the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.